So we are continuing in our series on spiritual disciplines, and today I've been asked to focus on prayer. So of all that long passage, I'm going to focus on two words. But before I do, I want to share with you something of my own experience of prayer, and I'm going to do that by reading something that I wrote on my blog 15 months ago. Such random ricochet, my prayer, these days. 19 years of practice, and right now, can hardly pray. Arrow prayers, of course, they fly up for others, for me, most hours of the day. And prayers with others, they flow too. But disciplined waiting and speaking largely gone. Prayer life collapsing inward. The irony, I know, that I spend my days in corporate expressions of spirituality, counseling others in pursuit of deeper obedience, teaching the church, writing words as worship, speaking others that they tell me are prophetic. I spend my days pointing to the stream, though prayer life limps in dry and weary land where there is no water. Instead of words bubbling forth, even prayer's thought makes me weary. And faced with him, I have simply nothing to say. Silence wells up and thickens in the face of his gaze. And mind skitters soul runs any direction but him. Those are words I wrote 15 months ago. If anything, my experience right now is probably even more intense in that respect. My prayer life, I've started to say, in many ways has been subject to total collapse. And perhaps telling you this up front will make you feel I have nothing to say about prayer that is, as the NIV puts it, continual. And you might be right. But the words with which I ended that blog post 15 months ago are still my conviction today. The way I ended the post is this. What matters now is praying still. Not curling up in wilderness hinterland, giving up, giving in. Instead, deliberate returning. Again and again struggling through borderlands between prayer country old and new, learning to stay before God, not run. It seems to me that in the end, prayer is a deliberate returning to God, again and again and again, as many times as it takes until eventually I am more often present to him than that I'm not. That, I think, is the essence of what Paul is talking about in this letter to the Thessalonians. Now, to be frank, two-word sermons are not usually my thing. There's not a huge amount to exegete in this text. And the reason I think that is because this is not, at this point, a coherent piece 
of rhetoric. It's not like the rest of the Pauline letters where you know he's constructing a very complex argument and it usually helps to follow the grammar to understand exactly what he's saying. This point in the letter is final instructions. This is just a collection of things he wants to say to the people. And one of them, and the NIV doesn't quite put it this way, but 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is probably better translated, pray unceasingly. It's two words in the Greek. It's not even that interesting either. It says adialyptos prosyukesthe. Unceasingly, pray. Literally, without interval. That's what the word means. The only thing here in the Greek, quite frankly, that is notable is that grammatically, the instruction to pray goes to you plural. You together pray unceasingly. Which, you know, if you're feeling a bit stressed by this command to pray unceasingly might be a good thing. Because suddenly it's not that I have to pray unceasingly, it's that we have to pray unceasingly. Perhaps we can think of it as a kind of 24-7 prayer model. Perhaps seems like a less daunting demand if we together between us, the church, would be praying unceasingly. But it seems to me that however you frame it, you still can't get away from the fact that this is a major demand in the text, pray unceasingly. You know you can make it the responsibility of the whole church if you like, but it's still your responsibility to pray unceasingly. And I want to make a couple of points about prayer today. The first point I want to make is that prayer is actually something that God does first. And we join in with it. That's our part in prayer, to participate. We don't initiate. God initiates. God is the one who prays. We participate in that. And the second point I'm going to want to make is that the act of joining in that prayer is a continuous intending and a continual attending. I'll get to the difference between continuous and continual in a moment. But that's why I think the NIV translation is probably not helpful and unceasing is probably better because that's closer to the Greek. So my first point then, that prayer is something that God does. The scriptures are really clear that Jesus is praying, even right now, he's on the right hand of the Father, praying on your behalf. Jesus is praying to the Father. Romans tells us, Romans 8.34, Hebrews 7.25 tells us the same thing. Right now, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father and he is praying for you. And sometime if you're bored, why don't you say to the Lord, Jesus, would you tell me what you're praying to the Father for me right now? It will blow you away. But not only is Jesus praying to the Father, the text also tells us that the Spirit is praying to the Father. Romans 8 talks about this. Romans 8:27. when you and I don't even know how to pray, we don't even know what to ask for, there are just not words anymore. Words fail, mind skitters. Even then, the Spirit is in you, praying to the Father on your behalf. So get this, the Godhead is in prayer. Son prays to Father, Spirit prays to Father. Friends, the Bible does tell us to pray. It's here in this text, 517. But the assumption always in Scripture is that you and I will pray in Christ. It can't be any other way. Galatians 2.20 tells us, that now that we are in Christ, our old life, our old existence is crucified. Who you were doesn't exist anymore. It can't do praying. It never could, actually. But the life you now live is in Christ. 
So we do pray, but we pray from our position in Christ, which means we participate in that prayer that happens in the Godhead. We pray, as the text so often tells us, in Jesus' name. You hear this again and again, especially in the Gospels, that prayer in Jesus' name is what matters. You sometimes hear it when people pray in church. They add in Jesus' name onto the end of a prayer. We don't always think about what that means, but what that means is we are in Jesus. The only hope we have of being heard by the Father is that we are in Jesus. The only hope that we have that the answers to prayer will be given is because we ask in the will of Jesus. John talks about this. I can't go through all the references, but John 14, 15, 16 repeatedly tells us that there is no other way the Father hears apart from in Jesus. So we do pray, but let's be clear. Even when prayer seems like my good idea, something I think I should do, something I think I should initiate. What actually happens is that I am joining in the prayer that is already going on in the Godhead. I am joining in that prayer that rises from the Son to the Father, that rises from the Spirit to the Father. That the Godhead is always in communion, Father, Son, and Spirit turned to one another, and because you and I are in Christ, We are drawn up into a participation in the God life that we can barely understand. And yeah, we pray. But you know what? Because actually what the Godhead is doing is prayer. In many ways, I think we are prayed more than that we pray. Because in Christ, given breath by the Spirit, that is the nature of our prayer. So that's my first point, that in prayer, God does the work and we participate. We don't initiate. We don't start it. We join in with what God is already doing. More than praying, in many ways, we are prayed. But then I said I had a second point to make, and this ties in very closely with prayer unceasing. I said that our participation in prayer, our participation in the prayer that Jesus and the Spirit are praying to the Father looks like two things. And I said it looks like intending and attending. By intending, what I mean is that we intend God, that we direct the whole of our lives, the whole of our longing, the whole of our desire toward him only. Kierkegaard, this is somebody that Richard mentioned a few weeks ago when he spoke about worship for those of us who were in the hut. It was that day of messy church. He talked about a quotation from Kierkegaard which says, purity of heart is to will one thing. And for us, theologically, that's God. To intend God is the essence of prayer to direct ourselves as completely as we can to him and to him only. And in one sense, that's really simple. Just got to direct yourself to God only. It's also incredibly difficult. If you've ever tried to focus only on the Lord, you'll notice how many other thoughts and feelings and memories come into your mind to distract you. But as we grow, 
in intending God, in seeking after God, in desiring him only, actually what happens, I think, is that everything in our lives becomes prayer. If you point your car towards the end of the road, everything in your car is pointing in the same direction, and when you start moving, it will move with you. That's how fundamental it is to orientate ourselves towards God or to intend God. Intending God, I think, is fundamental to prayer. And if we intend God to the extent that we do, everything we do is going to be prayer. Washing up is done in his honor. Work is done in his honor. Even me preaching now is done before him, done intending him. In that sense, everything is prayer. So often, especially as evangelicals, we make prayer about conscious, cognitive communication with God. And that is part of it. But you don't always necessarily need to have God in the forefront of your cognitive brain if you have a habit of deliberately, constantly training your attention towards him because eventually that will work in the background and you will be drawn back to him again and again and again. That, I think, is what intending God does. That, I think, is why David can say in Psalm 109 verse 4, and it's not translated this way in the NIV, sadly, but literally in the Hebrew, Psalm 109 verse 4, David says, I am prayer. And this, I think, is what he's getting at that he has so directed himself so repeatedly, so habitually towards God that he can say, the whole of my life is prayer. Everything intends him. I think that's why the psalmist in Psalm 84 can say, my heart is set on pilgrimage. It's set. It's a done deal. I intend God. And this is so key that if we do not set our will, our heart, our affections, the whole of our being on God, then nothing you say is really prayer. Nothing you do that we might normally call prayer is really prayer. If God is not at the absolute center, if that's not your desire, however tiny your desire, however much it has to grow and take over the rest of your life yet, if there's not that basic core of desiring and intending God, then it ain't prayer. And the saints have some really strong things to say about this, Teresa of Avila in particular. David could say, because of this, I am prayer. Paul, I think, can say in that sense, as he implies in 1 Thessalonians 5, that he prays without ceasing. But how do you maintain this intending? How do you maintain this direction of heart? That is where attending comes in. To give forward movement to the direction that we've set, we need the equivalent in the car analogy of pressing the accelerator. And the way we press the accelerator is to engage in practices of attending. This is where, for example, we turn our hearts to look to God and we start to praise him for how good he is. This is where we turn our hearts to God and we start thinking about the things that he's done for us in the last day and we thank him. This is where we turn our hearts to God and we are aware of the things we've done in the last day. 
and we confess to him that we've fallen short. This kind of practice of turning yourself to God repeatedly, this is also prayer. Prayer is both, and actually it has to be both. You need to direct your car in the right direction. There's no point pressing the accelerator and not looking where you're going. You know when you learn to drive and you feel like you can't control the car? They say, look in the direction you want to go. You need to intend God, but you also need to press the accelerator. We do this also when we pray. Just now we had intercessions. We pray for, God, uh, for our families and our friends. We pray for our nation. We pray for parliament. We pray for the needs that we see around us. We pray for the world. Even though the need in the world is so much greater than we even know how to name, we still deliberately come to God and ask him to intervene in specific practices of prayer. The attending is that deliberate returning that I started with. That turning up again and again and again and again and again, repeatedly. It is, I think, prayer that is continual. Once when I was about nine years old, I had a really overzealous primary school teacher whose specialism was English. And she got very excited one day about telling us the distinction between continuous and continual. And when we use these two words in respect of time, continuous means literally going on without stopping, no break whatsoever. And continual means repeated actions, that the repetition doesn't stop, but there may be short breaks between the actions. I think intending God is about continuously being directed towards him so that when I press the accelerator, I'm going to move in that direction. But the way that I press the accelerator is the continual, repeated, practices of praying because it's the practices that train my heart or if you like in the car analogy train my eyes to know which direction I'm meant to be going in and prayer is the whole of that so what are the practices of returning what are the practices of attending what is prayer unceasing in that sense The church historically has a number of practices that will help us to keep turning our eyes back to the Lord in prayer. The reality is that your prayer practices will be different than mine. I can give you an idea of what some of mine are, but the truth is that each of us has to go live this thing for ourselves, listen to what other people are doing, think I'm going to try that practice on for size, how does that work for me? But this is what is core to my practice. Some of my prayer practices are corporate. That means with the body of Christ. I think that's not negotiable. When we pray, we may pray alone, but we also pray with the body of Christ. So I'm here on Sundays. I pray in song when the worship team leads us. I'm led in intercessions as happened today. I'm led often in a prayerful response to the word that's been preached. When I receive the bread and the wine, I am drawn again to pray often a simple amen. And then in my own personal practices, my daily practices, there's a whole range of different ways in which I pray. One of them is that I daily pray the words of a particular Carmelite saint. And those words are forming me more deeply than I expected, which is so often the way with God, isn't it? Day after day, I say to God, I intend you today. I intend you. I want you to be my one thing. 
And I trust you to do that because I know I can't do that. And then I say, and I choose not to. For me, that's shorthand for I choose not to help you. I choose not to judge the way you do it. I choose not to overanalyze it all too much. I choose not to panic about it. I choose not to think I'm a failure in prayer. I choose not to. I read the Bible. Because when I do, it elicits from me a prayed response. And actually, Peter and I take daily communion together because I'm more and more convinced that this is the root of all of it, that we first receive before we can ever overflow in response. Then in the day I might have my phone, well, forget I might have my phone open. I do have my phone open. <laughs> At some point, the BBC News app is open. I read something. I take the opportunity to pray just there and then. Since the phone's open, since I'm clearly doing things that I don't need to be doing on my phone, I might as well pray. I pray a liturgy. I have a little prayer stool in my office at work, and I pray a liturgy that comes from a source called the Divine Hours. There's loads of different sources you can get online. This is praying words that somebody else has written before me, usually words that are massively based in the Psalms. Increasingly these days, I spend 15 to 30 minutes in silence. No books, no Bible, no technology, no nothing. Just me and the Lord, seeking repeatedly in that silence to keep turning my eyes back on him. I drift, I drift, I have thoughts, I have feelings, I think about what somebody did earlier that day. I choose not, as much as I can, to put commentary on those things, and instead I just turn my eyes back to him. Because I want him to be my one thing. And this is prayer. Now your practices and my practices will be different, as I said. You may feel your practices are woefully inadequate, um, if you knew what went on inside my head, you would see how badly far short I feel that I fall in prayer. You would see how much I feel I'm failing a God who loves me more than I can even bear to understand. I think most of us feel that way. But I'm learning that foremost, it is God who prays. And that as I participate with that, as I join in through these practices of prayer, I find what happens more often than not is that I am prayed. As I seek to intend him, as I seek to make him my one thing, as I make the decision that this, this is who I want. This is what I want. This is what I want the shape of my life to be. As I do those practices repeatedly that form me in that direction, that are an attending to him, what I'm doing, I think, is that I train the muscle of my heart. So it gets easier and easier to stay in the direction that is only and always towards him. Because one day I want to be able to say like David, I am prayer. I want one day that my posture, I want this for you too, that your posture, you're working, you're dreaming, you're hoping, you're waiting, your will, your words, that all of them would be the form of a life that's directed only and always towards him. That you and I would be the willing amen 
to the prayer that is already being prayed for us in Christ. Needless to say, I thought I had an 11-minute sermon, and this is 24 minutes, so I need to stop. But what I am going to do in this moment now is pray for us. Father, who is adequate to such things? And yet you've done it all. You've gone ahead of us. You pray. The Son prays to the Father. The Spirit prays to the Father. And we are caught up in the glory and goodness of that. And though it is all so glorious and so huge and so beyond our capacity to understand, to even know how to get to be part of it, Lord, you give us these simple little practices. You say all you need to do is keep turning up, a deliberate returning again and again. So I pray for each person in this room that you would help us to know in our lives, what does that deliberate returning again and again in prayer look like? And then would you help us to find the strength to go do those things? that our vision of you might be more complete. In Jesus' name.